Hey everyone, I'm Jordan Henderson and welcome to the RevOps Podcast. I'm joined today by Jonathan Stevens and Brandon Redlinger. Hey guys. What's up guys? So one of my favorite things to do is to ask questions of my colleagues about topics that are typically outside of their focus or would typically be considered outside of their focus. I find that in doing that, I gain, a way, more, I gain way more valuable insight about where I, as the head of revenue operations, can have some impact and actually improve our alignment between marketing, sales, customer success, finance, legal, all the above, right? So with that in mind, and because you guys are both in marketing, today I want to obviously talk about sales messaging because that makes perfect sense. So. To define it, sales messaging, different from other messaging, right? It's not marketing messaging. It's not corporate messaging. It's sales messaging. It has the end goal of booking a meeting, closing business, that sort of thing. Most companies handle messaging for the sales team by the sales team, pretty specifically, right? And and a lot of them, to be totally honest, I've, I've been at a handful of companies that do it this way. It's a bit of a wild, wild west scenario where you've basically said, hey, somebody from the ops team or a sales manager or honestly, some individual contributor has drafted an email cadence that has a ton of messaging in it, and they put it into whatever outreach program you are using for your email cadencing, and then 46 other reps make four copies of it and tweak three words, and pretty soon you have 700 versions of the same email, and it's going out, and all of that would be in the umbrella of sales messaging, but it's not very clearly defined. It is just, honestly, a bit of a mess, and it lives in its own silo of sales messaging. So... I have questions for you guys about sales messaging, being that you're in product marketing and marketing operations, I think you'll have unique perspectives. So Brandon, I want to start with you. How can product marketing inform sales messaging? Like in theory. In theory. How can you, like, <laughs> in theory. In theory, how can product marketing inform sales messaging? Yeah, totally. So I... I I will say first off, what you've described, yeah, happens at every single freaking company, right? Like they have, they, they don't know what's who's using what, what's working, what's not. But I, I do think that um, there is such a huge opportunity to leverage your marketing team a little bit more here. So I, I do know that th- there are some companies out there who, you know, that the marketing team does write and approve um, messaging for sales, right? The, the actual sequences or cadences or plays or whatever you want to call them. Um, but I, I do think there's a big opportunity to start with product marketing because by product marketing's job is actually to define your message, is to come up with your personas, is to define those value propositions, not only come up with them, but continue to refine them, figure out what is working, what is not, and then delivering that to sales and then keeping sales updated on that. So look, I don't, I don't really care if marketing is the one writing those plays. I think they can definitely help. I don't, I don't care if sales is the one writing them, but here's what happens a lot of the time, right? Like when, when marketing is responsible for writing those, they sound like marketing emails, like mm. the subject lines are like 10 ways to get high responses to rank, <laughs> whatever that is, right? So open, it, ra- open rates through the roof, action rates through the floor, yeah, right? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And, and like the rest of the email sounds like a marketing freaking email too. And that, that doesn't work. But on the other side, I think if you let only sales write those emails, then it sounds like a sales email. Like every single freaking sales pitch that I get, like I can spot it in a split second because it 
it looks and sounds like all the other sales emails out there. It's like, you know, value proposition and then another sentence connecting what I'm doing to their product and then like your bulleted list and then a call to action. Like that is the freaking playbook that everyone uses. Well, how should I, how can I actually get more conversations started with people? Do something different, stand out a little bit more, make it sound like an actual human rather than just this script that I, you know, got off of, you know, Josh Braun's email training or whoever out there, right? John Barrow. Little shout out to Josh Braun. We'll ex- we'll expect our uh, check in the mail later on. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, anyways, <laughs> but you, so you, you said something that um, that is, is really interesting, um, and and I'm, you're maybe going to back away from this because I'm going to ask a question here. Um, you said it should start with product marketing. It should start with product marketing. That's a key word. Does that mean that you think essentially sales messaging should, in its first iteration, come from product marketing? I do believe that because product, like you need to stay on message, right? Otherwise you're just going out there and like, who knows what uh, a sales rep is going to say, or even the sales manager is like, if they are not trained in the message and they're not trained in the value propositions and they're not trained in what the company actually wants to get across, which usually starts in marketing and more times than not, specifically in product marketing, you're going to end up with, People just saying value propositions that don't actually uh, align to what we are doing or what we want to communicate to people, right? So I, I do think it should start there. So how do you balance that with with because um, because because you're right, sales emails typically follow a pretty strict formula, right? There's there's some version of a sales email out there that Josh Braun or Keenan or or forty other you know sales leaders have written, which which typically starts with something around like identify a problem, talk about how you can you know tease how you can solve it, give a customer example, and then go in for the ask, which is you know a pretty firm ask to book a meeting, which is one of the things that differentiates from marketing is it's never asking like, do you have time on Thursday? Right? Like right, exactly. that's, not, that's not what marketing does. Yeah. Uh, but so how do you how do you balance that if it starts with product marketing? Because that the reason that formula exists is because that formula works, right? Like it, it does. But what what I'm hearing is is you want to zoom that back to product marketing. So how do we use those two things together, and can they exist in the same world? Oh, totally. I think they can absolutely exist in the st- same world, but start with the messaging that marketing gives you. So marketing and product marketing should be giving you uh, messaging documents and how to actually position. And then from there, like uh, all value propositions, personas, all the customer journey stuff that marketing and product marketing creates, Start with that and then turn that into all of your different content that you're writing, which that includes, obviously, your your sales messaging, too. Um, otherwise, again, you're just going to start wherever the heck you want to start. And is it the place that the company wants you to start at? Yeah, yeah. got it. And I yeah. think well, so, also, so, so I mean, oh, go ahead. Sorry, I was going to add to that. I think also you're coming from one voice as opposed to having however many reps you have, having 20, 30, 40 different voices trying to communicate what the product does as opposed to where you're centralizing with somebody who's specialized in writing, knows the buzzwords, knows the keywords to use. I think that's, if you start there, I think you have a lot more success than disparate. That makes sense. 
than, than disparately bringing in. So, so the one takeaway that I'm taking from all of this is Brandon, that I'll be looking forward to that list of messaging things that, that you're going to send over our way um, very, very, very shortly. So we can align that. <laughs> exactly. um, the, so, so same question to you, Jonathan, how, how can marketing operations inform sales messaging? Cause, cause I'll, I'll bite on what Brandon's saying and I'll, I'll say yes, that, that I, I think is, you know, I want to follow the strict formula, but I'm, I'm keen to the idea of product marketing who's focusing slow down messaging reps are focusing elsewhere as, as a key driver and, and, and maybe actually the kickoff point of our messaging journey for our sales messaging, but take that over then to marketing operations. What do you do to that? How do you inform it? Yeah, I think from a messaging standpoint on operations, it's more about making sure everything's operating correctly and that we're able to track, we're able to tell when people are clicking off the email, which is showing us that at least some of the messaging is successful. Um, I think that's the biggest, making sure that just the mechanisms to send, the mechanisms to track are all in order. And then I think the messaging just becomes secondary to that from an operation standpoint. So what you're saying is, is what's most, what your role in, in the sales messaging, right, is, is one, assuming that we're using, you know, marketing to help us help the sales team with sales messaging, your role in that is making sure that the marketing operation has a whole ton of data to know what messaging actually works before they send me that document that says, here's what messaging works. Yep. And iterating, testing, the whole works. Oh, so what, what, okay, then I'm going to dig deeper on that. What are the key metrics? How do we know, how do we know a message works versus another one? What are we doing? I think it kind of depends on what you're doing. So if you're measuring your open rates, obviously you're, you're looking exclusively at that subject line. If you're looking at, whether or not it's converting, you're looking at if they're clicking off. If the, if you're getting clicks off those emails, you know that's working. If you can measure that against something that's not getting as much clicks, then you know which direction to go. Got it. Okay. So so say so. Let me ask you guys this then. So so I'm in sales. You know, we work. We write a lot of sales campaigns at Ring DNA. Of course, I, I work on those. I know you guys have both worked on those too. Um, you know, a lot of times we decide. You know, we're going to target specific personas because this is what's landing with them. When we when we took look at a persona, are you guys should you be involved in deciding like here's the products we should push to that persona because here's the we know what messaging aligns there or or vice versa, are there universes where you're like hey like I know we've closed deals with that persona in the past but we don't know what messaging works there it is a crapshoot and we should like a b test some things before we launch that campaign. Well, I I do feel like there is a, a good opportunity for feedback. Right. So like, uh, honestly, I, I will take a lot of direction from you guys, believe it or not, Jordan, I will take direction from <laughs> you guys. I do listen to you guys because you guys are on the front, the front lines, right? You are testing stuff. You actually know a little bit better than, you know, someone in marketing who's more behind a computer than anything. What are those things that are landing? Now, of course, I do want to, as a marketer, listen to those sales calls. I want to join sales calls when I can. Um, but it's not something that I can do every single day, right? So yeah. I actually do want to know from you what happened. So I, I, I'm a little bit less worried about that um, and just more looking for feedback from just the sales team. So I, I do go to you. I do go to uh, Ryan quite frequently, Joe, and say, Hey, does, does this sound right? Like I'm, I'm writing some messaging. Like, have you heard your guys say this? Or do you hear mm. this from prospects? And then I'll build that into my messaging. And I'll build that into my ad campaigns. I'll build that into the content that I'm writing. So um, 
Like, I, I think there is a lot of value in just having that open feedback loop. And then we can iterate and kind of like, you know, Jonathan says, test a lot of different things. I think there's a lot of value in testing that people probably don't do enough. Speaking of uh, keywords, you know, feedback loop, you just dropped it. That's top keyword has to be right. <laughs> exactly. Um, that, that, that makes sense to me. Um, so then here's the, here's the, here's the sort of last, I'll, I'll move on in a second. This is very interesting. Um, the, uh, do y'all get insulted? This, this is a real question because, because a lot of times somebody from the marketing team will take first crack at sequences and like we, we have the formula, we walk them through, you know, here's like what we like to do. Here's the general rhythm of our emails and they send it over and then I chop it up and I'm like, cause it'll end, you know, like, like typical marketing. They're like, yeah, like, let me know if you want to chat more about this sometime question mark. Like, that's not, come on. Like we got, we got to <laughs> like, do you have time Thursday for a call? Right. Like we got to come, we're on sales. We got to come in strong with an ask. And so I'll usually chop up a few things like that and, update it back over. Do y'all get insulted? Because I always feel like I'm stepping on toes. I mean, personally, I don't. Um, like, well, I I always want people to be tracking what they're doing and like documenting it so that if you do change something that I can say, yes, like, okay, you're, you are actually right here. Believe it or not, Jordan, like, once in a while, it happens. Like you're right more than I am, right? Just so like, passively aggressive coming at me today, you know? <laughs> right? But it's like, yeah, I, I'm I'm totally fine with people chopping up and trying different things. Um, but it's when they go completely off the rails, and it's like everyone trying a little bit of different things. It's just like, yeah. let's 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 be a little bit more thoughtful of how we're creating these sequences and why we're changing certain things, um, and then also documenting it too. So that we can, again, go back and see what worked, what didn't, and also just keep learning from things that we've done in the past. So maybe we are trying um, something like we tried something about a year ago and someone new, a new sales manager or someone new in marketing, whoever comes on board and is like, we should try that thing. Then we go, we actually tried it once and it didn't work. If we document it, we can actually say, mm -hmm. here's the test. Here's what we did. Here's what didn't work. Is there something that we're missing? Maybe you have a different idea. Or they could look at it and go, you're right. This is well documented. Bad idea. Let's let's drop that. Let's just, you know, let's move on. So, and I think that's in general, most people miss that piece, whether that is a mm -hmm. messaging itself, whether that is a cadence, whether that is like even in marketing, like ads that we run, we don't document and learn enough from our past. Yep. Jonathan, you're in, you're in marketing operations. Brandon's not happy with your documentation is what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot to document. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, it's a it's a problem, though, that I think most most companies, particularly you know, younger startups have, which is we're moving so fast. We're adapting to new things. We're identifying ICPs. We're coming up with ways to sell things. We're rolling out new products. We're like Everything is happening so rapidly that documentation sort of gets the kick the can, right? It, it's not the fun, sexy thing that we all want to do. Like, yeah. right? Like, like where's, where, where's my repository is not something I'm asked. <laughs> exactly, <consistently>. exactly. <laughs> and and yeah. since no one really is asking for it, you know, we might do it once and then, then it's like, uh, we forget about it later. And then sooner or later, like here we are a year later and we don't know what we did and what works, what doesn't, you know? Yeah. Jonathan. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think it's just kind of one of those things is especially at a smaller organization, you want to move the needle more than anything else. And you need to be bringing money in the door first and foremost. So a lot mm -hmm. of times you're not making money by documenting. So 
that usually takes a back seat. <laughs> Turns out people typically don't pay you to document <laughs> your own failures. No. <laughs> it's, it's, it's not. Um, all right. So I have, I have more of a fun version of this question that, that I think is, is going to throw you both under the bus terribly, which I'm super excited about <laughs> um, because we're going to find out who listens to this podcast and who doesn't. So, Obviously, sales messaging. One of the key components of all sales messaging is personalization. Now, you generally write like a you know pretty generic, you know, broad email that we think is going to go to that persona and be applicable to that person. But for the really good prospects, where reps are going to LinkedIn, they're going to wherever they can find information about that person, tailoring that email, adding a little insight, like saw saw you're a Steelers fan, you know, on LinkedIn because you're in the Steelers fan club LinkedIn group, right? Like that. That's the sort of like next step thing that actually hooks people a little bit, starts to build some rapport and relationship and shows that you've done your homework. Super important. So my question is, because that was not a question, if you couldn't tell. Uh, my question is, and I'll start with you, Jonathan. I'm selling marketing operations. Mm-hmm. What's the one piece of weird information online about you that I can find that is going to hook you into having a conversation with me? Oh, man. How much time do you have? I as much time as you want. Pick, pick the weirdest one, and we're gonna find out who listens to the podcast because somebody is gonna shoot you this email, and you're gonna have to take that call. Just so you know. Yep. So I uh, started out as an audio engineer in my career, so I think there's a lot of uh, metal bands out there. You can see I've worked on and things <laughs> like that, and you know, rock is kind of my thing. I, I worked in metal just because it was a job, a paying job. So. Some of that stuff was very heavy metal and maybe something if you surface that, that would get my attention real quick. What's a, what's a, I know nothing about heavy metal. What's a um, heavy metal band that you worked with? There was a band called Hunab Koo. And Hunab Koo. Beware checking them out because it is abrasive, but very <laughs> so, talented, so, very quick. So we are, we are not recommending anybody listen to Hunab Koo. Sorry, <laughs> Hunab Koo. But what we are recommending is if you prospect Jonathan find out that he worked with Hunab Koo, reference that in your email somehow, I don't know how, and you'll probably get a meeting. Is that is that fair? I think so, yeah. If for uh, nothing else to figure hair, out how you found that out. The long hair makes more sense now, by the way. I get <laughs> it. You worked in heavy metal. Uh, um, all right. Brandon, same question. Well, well, first off, who uses LinkedIn groups anymore, Jordan? Oh, my God. What... <laughs> I'm, a link, I'm all over LinkedIn, man. I'm in groups. The only groups I'm in are actually Steelers fan club groups, just so you know. <laughs> are you a big Steelers fan? <laughs> I am. I'm a huge Steelers fan. I even moved out to Pittsburgh for a year at one point. Oh, well, now people know how to get in your inbox and get, get a meeting with oh, you. People do this all the time. I get the, the Steelers one is too generic. You got to be... Too easy? Way, yeah, yeah. Mm. It's, yeah. But but you're evading the question. Don't dodge me right now. What's, right. The, what's the answer? So, this has happened a few times. It doesn't happen much, but um, there are a few just like it, buried in my LinkedIn. There are a few just like fun little things that I've thrown in there. Like under my skill set, um, one of the things that is in there, it's, it's kind of an inside joke for anyone who went to CU, University of Colorado Boulder. Um, one of my skills is underwater basket weaving. And that's underwater that basket weaving. To, it's not it's a an reference actual to thing. Something, right? Yeah, it's a <laughs> reference from a movie or a TV show or something, right? So there is this um, like small liberal arts college college right next to the campus of University of Colorado. It's called Naropa University. And they make up the weirdest majors. And 
kid you not, one person majored in underwater basket weaving. So that was the biggest joke in my graduating class. We made fun of Naropa University students a lot. And specifically, one of the jokes was underwater basket weaving. So in my (laughs) skills, you will see underwater basket weaving. So whenever someone references that, they're like, I was looking at your LinkedIn. And like, I must say, I, you know, that's really cool that you know how to do underwater basket weaving. And then I'll go, (laughs) you know what? That's actually an inside joke, blah, blah, blah. And and, and that gets the conversation going now, right? And then now we start to build that uh, relationship, build that, uh, you know, conversation. And then, yeah, I've taken meetings based off of someone just reading my LinkedIn a little bit more closely than most people do. Wow. Underwater basket weaving. By the way, everybody who ever listens to that podcast from whatever university that was that you just mentioned is is immediately not going to listen ever again. Yeah, exactly. That's fine. We're just, this is an insulting day. We're going after metal bands. We're going after <laughs> that college. We're just taking it all down with us. <laughs> Underwater basket weaving. Um, amazing. Absolutely amazing. I, I've, it's, it's interesting. I've had uh, a lot of people reference the Steelers thing because that one's very transparent on my profile. And then people reference specific posts and things like that, the more active you are, I think. And um, I had one person, I uh, and, and you guys actually probably don't know this, uh, years ago when I first moved out to California, I, I did a lot of stand-up comedy. Um, I actually was a paid regular at the comedy store, which which you could that's why I'm generally pretty confident as a public speaker. I think uh, once you've bombed at the comedy store, nothing can be worse. I promise. And so um, there's been a handful of people who found old videos and like referenced a joke, which is incredible, mostly because there's a very famous soccer player with my same name. So if you look me up, it is basically impossible to find me. Like I, they must have gone to like Google page 86 to find anything about this. It's incredible. Um, but 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 you're totally right. Like that that level of like weirdness, it starts a conversation, and like immediately you're you're having you're building a relationship rather than just like answering a sales call. Totally. Well, I, I think here's here's the like yeah, anyone can look at my not not specifically LinkedIn, but like I, I'm a big hockey fan. And I'm a, I'm a big Colorado Avalanche fan. If you say you know go Avs, by the way, I want to sell you this one. Thing. It's like yeah. Okay, like that that tells me nothing about that you've actually done any uh, research out there. If you mention underwater basket weaving, I know you listen to this podcast. You actually listened, you know, 15 minutes or whatever into this episode number two. You actually are doing some good research on me. It's not just, yeah, you know, I've done some very surface level research on you. Yeah, well, anyone can find some of this stuff out right. about me by doing two right. minutes of, you know, Googling. Right. I mean, but it, honestly, like for me, there's, there's 32 football teams. Your odds of just picking the right one. Aren't that bad. Yeah, exactly. Just throw one out. Right. Like, although if you pick the wrong one, good luck. That, that's it's true. true. <laughs> if, if it, it's very I'll never true. Talk to send, you again. Me, yeah. send me a, send me a Ravens or a Bengals invite and I'm blocking your email domain from our entire IP. So, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Totally got off track. Sorry, guys. I thought that'd be a fun question. I love um, it. No, I love it. Well, I, here, here's, okay. So here, maybe here's a, an interesting path to go down. Is is that enough to actually actually start a conversation with people? Because like underwater basket weaving, metal bands, uh, stand-up comedy, that has nothing to do with B2B business. So 
What's the it has right everything, way it has, to it use has personalization? To do with B2B business. What's that? It has everything to do with it has everything to do with B2B business. No, it, it does. That's 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 I I think that's totally wrong. Um every it, bring your whole self to work, right? You're mm-hmm. here every day, who you are as a person. That joke is part of who you are as a person, right? You think it's it's funny enough to you that this is a thing that that you have on your LinkedIn. It's a hilarious thing. It's part of it, right? And and you do that for a reason, right? That's part of who you are. And somebody coming in and personalizing to that degree is building a relationship with you. B2B business is building relationships. That's true. That's that's what it is. Like we're we're not selling things because always we have the best product. We do, right? But the, the way we get to show you the product is by having some sort of relationship with you, building credibility, building a relationship, building trust. And you do that by sharing in these dumb things, which at the end of the day then means that that is business. It's it's a totally pointless thing, but you now have a relationship. You know that person's name. And when that person asks you for a 10-minute phone call, you're going to take it. And that's doing business. But that's, you can also... Yeah, that's fair. Oh, go ahead. You can also tell a lot about a company, I think, by the character of their sales reps. So if mm-hmm. you've got personable sales reps, you can tell a lot about that company and their product just by that alone. Yeah. Yeah, I think, and I, and I think we, we all agree, and we're all saying the same thing. But yeah, I mean, I, I think that's, I think that that skill set is actually what sets the better sales rep aside from from a from a worse sales rep, right? That ability to go into those tangential things and have meaningless conversations with people. Like, there's other ways to do it. Obviously, you don't have to be that person to to book meetings. We we know that, but but it's the best way, in my opinion. I'm more likely to want to buy from that person than than anybody else yeah no i think that's a good point it gives you it gives you more at bats or if anything you get a no faster i've replied to people that are like great that you actually did that research on me i'm actually not in the market right now sorry you know and and for them it's productive because now they know they shouldn't be spending any more time prospecting into me so no's the second best answer yeah, and I yeah, you're totally right. And, and like, no, no is a great answer. It saves my marketing budget. It saves me from spending more time there. It, we we can just take that off the radar and move on. It gives me time to go back after somebody else. It's super important. Um, that's a whole other podcast for the other day, by the way. How how getting to know is just as valuable in a lot of ways as getting to yes. Totally. Um, but uh, but the the other piece of this I think is really interesting because we can move on from personalization in a second. Is that people's the number of not to beat the COVID drum, but the number of meaningful interactions that people have with other human beings is pretty limited right now. Like it's people you work with and maybe people you live with. And that's, you know, kind of the end of the list. And so like some random person being like, I want to talk to you about 10 minutes about underwater basket weaving. Like it's a, it's a slightly happy moment of your day where you're talking to somebody that you haven't talked to in a while or maybe ever. And it's enjoyable. And, and that builds a little bit more. I think now it has more value now than I think before. Be totally yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah all right cool moving on sorry um so all of that is sort of we've talked a lot about downstream funnels right like product product marketing marketing ops how you're how you're informing sales messaging that's like down funnel that's easy it's easy to comprehend right like everything goes you're sending the leads that way anyways just send the information with it the, See you guys later, right? Job done. Not at all. RevOps is all about feedback loops. So I want to talk about it on the inverse. How does sales messaging inform your marketing messaging and your roles? So either one of you can start, but what do you take from sales to inform product marketing or marketing operations? Do you want to go first, Jonathan? 
You can take this one first. Okay, cool. Yeah, <laughs> totally. I mean, kind of like I mentioned earlier, I, I am always going back to sales and asking, like, what is resonating out there? What's not? Whether that is, you know, messaging that we just rolled out, whether that is a new campaign that we just did. But like messaging is always going to be evolving. It's never just going to be like, here's the messaging doc. And it's always going to be this. Like it might be the same for like maybe a quarter at the most, but like product marketers are always working on how can I deliver this a little bit better? How can I speak to the pain points? How can I actually deliver value propositions that are going to make people want to talk to us? or want to respond to my marketing emails, or want to click on our ads. So um, for me, it's just like, kind of of like you said, a a feedback loop. So I'm going to put something out there. I want you guys to test it. And then I want you to tell me whether that's working or not, right? I mean, of course, I I can send you messages and say, this is terrible, Brandon. I was right from the start. We shouldn't have done it. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) 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 But um, yeah, I mean, I, I think that's why I guess sales and marketing and alignment is just so important. A lot of times, just like marketing throws messaging over the wall to sales and it, and like sales catches it and is like, what the hell do I do with this? I don't want to. And they throw it away, right? And then marketing later is looking at the emails going, why are they saying this? This is a terrible email or this is way off message or whatever that might be, right? So like going back to like being on brand, on message, making sure we're, deli- we're saying the same things in the same ways, um, which I-, I do think there is more of an opportunity to for just like ongoing training. So mm. whenever there is new messaging, like they'll, they'll roll it out once and then they won't do anything. They'll just go on to the next campaign or the next whatever that they need to be doing. Well, let's have that as an open conversation. Maybe it's weekly, maybe it's bi-weekly, but saying like, again, what's working, what's not, what do they think of it? Like, how are people reacting to that? Um, So just having that constant feedback loop open with sales is going to be extremely valuable for product marketing. And like the the more you tell me what's working, the better messaging I'm going to do for you later. So mm-hmm. like it's actually beneficial, Jordan, to actually be yeah. talking with me, believe well, it or not. <laughs> Once a week on this podcast, that's when we speak. You know this. <laughs> yeah. no, totally massive. Um, but no, that totally makes sense to me. You, using it to, I mean, to be honest, it, it, product marketing is in a better place to beta test messaging than sales is just because of sheer volume of outreach, right? Totally. And so... It, it makes more sense in a lot of ways for you to test messaging than it does for sales. They can inform you and then you can test different versions of what's working and then get it back to them and they can do, go again and you know, vice versa. Yep. Um, all right. Same question, Jonathan. Yep. So I agree wholeheartedly with what Brandon mentioned. I think I've seen it done both ways. I've seen it where marketing just controls the messaging, sends it over the fence and that's what it is. I've seen it where just sales takes the lead on the messaging and it's never truly worked as well as when there's coordination between the two departments and how they develop the messaging. And I think, you know, either a biweekly or monthly cadence where you're just sitting down talking about what's working, what's not working. And also even bonus, if you've got measured data to support that, whether that be your email data or things of that nature, I think you're just much more informed and stronger with a collaborative effort while also measuring the data. Totally. Totally agree. And I, I think um, 
like making sure the data is accurate, right, is also another huge piece of this one. Like I, I need to know. It's it, it actually kind of circles all the way back to the thing we talked about at the start, which is sales messaging. You get 700 versions of the same email. And then there's no data that I can measure to see what messaging is actually working because there's 700 versions of the <laughs> email with four words tw- tweaked in each one. I have no idea. And none of them are going out enough volume to test that. So, mm-hmm. so what I'm hearing from you, Jonathan, is like making sure we've got that button up, helping sales to make sure we've got that button up in a way that we can actually provide marketing some usable data about what's working as well from the sales yep. messaging. Yeah. Yep. I, I um there, there's another piece to this by the way, and, and this is this is sort of a, a rant that um I've I've done to to Alec, our producer, because once in a while I, I go on passionate rants to him about things that he does not care about. Um <laughs> and this the I think I not think it's just one to that, Alec. That, that, you... Yeah, I, I do it quite a bit, if you can tell. <laughs> <laughs> Alec just messaged me more than once in a while. Um so that bodes well. <laughs> um Conversation intelligence, Goncore of CAI, right? Um, CAI obviously being ours and the best of the tools, um, but the uh, it's it's massively underutilized by marketing. It, it is across across the board. Nobody is using CAI to inform marketing. And when I think about the things that you guys have just said, like making sure I have data, making sure I have actual examples, making sure that I have like things that I can specifically point you at. Say it's objections. Say we're commonly running into the same objection over and over and over and over again, and it's price point as a simple common objection, right? CAI can be used by marketing to go in and find 400 phone calls in the past three weeks where we got that objection and find the 100 where we dispositioned meeting booked and you know how that was handled well, right? And then that messaging that they used in the call on the fly can be adapted back into marketing messaging to help us prevent that objection from ever coming downstream to begin with. And then we can get better and better and better at that from the outset, right? And and I don't think any companies are doing that. And I think it's a huge miss. And it goes into both what you guys just said, like getting the data from sales, making sure it's accurate. There's actually tangible things being measured. And that comes with like call dispositions being set up and like, you know, uh, conversation intelligence being set up appropriately. Like all of that has to be done right in order for this to actually work, but could do it. And it would totally help you guys. Then it would help sales. Then it would help you, then, you know, back and forth and back and forth, right? Absolutely. And yeah, this is so powerful because in the past, you would actually have to just sit in on calls and then hope that, you know, that they would mention this or like, hey, we're selling up yeah. against, you know, X competitor. Uh, pricing might come up. Do you want to sit on on the call now? Yeah, I can just go so, like I could either have a library already built for me or I could easily search and build that library. Like, and, and then I can go listen to that whenever. I could pull it up on my phone when I right. am at the gym, because that's what I love to do at the gym, just listen to uh, your guys. Just sports. listen to the conversation intelligence. <laughs> yeah, exactly. For some reason, that doesn't totally surprise me, but like, <laughs> just tell me slightly surprised. <laughs> um, but, but, but like, I also just like joined not even two months ago, right? I need to learn the product. I need to hear about how our um, how we are facing certain objections. I, I want to know which ones are coming up the most, and I can just easily onboard a lot quicker. Anyone, right? Anyone in marketing, anyone in sales, onboard quicker because now I have something like conversation AI at my fingertips. Yeah, totally, totally, and I think it's um. It would be actually a challenge, I think, that I would put forth to pretty much anybody who ever listens to this. Go find the best objection handling example you can in writing, and then go find the best one you have in call recording. And I guarantee the one that's call recording is a better objection handling. Because the one that happens on the fly in real time that's good is going to be great. 
Like it, it does. And that's not going to be written down anywhere, but it's recorded somewhere. So you can use it still and you should use it. You should <laughs> absolutely be using it. Jonathan, you operationalize it. We're doing it. Um, Boom. All right. And it, and it brings up the sort of final point, which is sales messaging shouldn't be thought of only as just written. Sales messaging is verbal too. And, and we should use the same sort of things we've just talked about to inform how we're describing the product, how we're handling these things in general and, and vice versa. Yeah, I think it kind of goes back to kind of the elevator pitch that entrepreneurs do when they're trying to sell their business. It's like you've got to have that good elevator pitch nailed down with your rep so that if they're only given maybe 10, 15 seconds on a call, they can give that quick spiel and hopefully get their, their foot in the door. You know, so many companies do the thing where they're like, everybody at our company should have an elevator pitch. And, and it's, it's kind of amazing because I've, I've been at a company where they said that and they actually made like the engineers be able to give an elevator pitch. <laughs> and it was so hard to teach an engineer how to, you know, give an elevator pitch, which yeah. is like, it's a whole different thing. And it, there's just so many people who never have to do it. And uh, like CAI would make that so easy conversations and stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, cool. That was awesome. That's that's all I have for sales messaging. I do have one other thing. I have a segment that we've done last time that I think was fun. I'd like to do it again. Once it stops being fun, we'll stop doing it. But <laughs> right now, I want to do it again. So this week on LinkedIn, this past week on LinkedIn, I got a message from a colleague who's looking to hire a junior RevOps person. He wants, to join, he wants them to join their team, and he's wondering how to best think about a junior RevOps role and what skills would I look for if I was making such a hire. So for you both... Not being ahead of RevOps, but for you both, I want your opinions on the matter. If you were to hire a junior RevOps person, how would you think about that role and what skills would be most important? And Jonathan, I'll kick it to you to go first. Yeah. So clearly, I think CRM expertise would be the number one criteria. And even if it's not expertise, at least experience and at least have shown some drive that they are willing to dig in and kind of learn a new tool. I think in the RevOps, MarkOps space, most important over anything else is just the desire to learn new things and to be able to adapt and change. And, you know, you may be super familiar with one tool and then you go to a new company, they're using a completely different tool and you have to be ready for that. You have to be very adaptable to change and you also have to be hungry to learn. I love that. Adaptable to change, by the way, would be easily number one on my list for a junior RevOps person because everything changes every week in the role. So <laughs> you need to take the punches as they come. I totally agree with that. That's awesome. Brandon? All right. So I, I think I'm with you on this that like I, I don't I don't look for skill sets as much in early um people earlier in their career because I think it's something that you can learn. How many Salesforce trainings are are there out there? How many, uh, you know, Marketo trainings or whatever tools that you're using on? There are a lot out there. What I really care about is are they, um, are they coachable? Do they have good critical thinking skills? Um, do they ask good questions? Are they curious? So a lot of these things are really hard to uh, you know, kind of quantify, but having good conversations and having questions like well thought out questions so that you can figure those things out is very important when you're interviewing people. Um, and then I also think there is a lot to be said about hiring for good culture. So 
also defining your culture and then defining what you're looking for, like those questions that you're asking and um, the answers that you are actually looking for. So, you know, less on the skill set side and more on some of those, you know, softer developmental skills. Um, that, that's what I over, over index on. Like in, in general, I'm, I'm a big fan of looking for just people with high potential, you know? Mm. So that, that, that's what I would, uh, that's what I'd say about that. I also think there's a lot, like, this is just a big opportunity for people just to hire better people in general. Like the whole hiring process, I feel like is broken right now. Right. So like that, that might be a different episode itself. It's a, a whole other podcast <laughs> a for a whole, whole other, other day. Yeah. Stay tuned. Yeah. Stay tuned. <laughs> <laughs> no, but, but I agree. There, there's a, there's a thing that you said that I think is super important. It also is extremely hard in RevOps, which is, you know, hiring for somebody that I can train and, you know, grow into the role that, you know, I'm less worried about their experience and more worried about, do they, are they adaptable? Do they, are they a culture fit? Do they have the skills to actually like learn these things? Are they going to do that? There's a reason that's really hard in RevOps, which is RevOps teams are very, very lean. Mm. And so, like, typically speaking, one of the more understaffed teams, and I know everybody that listens to this in RevOps is going to say, like, preach, and everybody who's not in RevOps is going to say, what a bunch of whiners, because that's typically <laughs> that no, My team's the most yeah. understaffed. Yeah, <laughs> like, I'm understaffed. Like, no, we all are. We get yeah, it. Exactly. But no, RevOps is the most. Uh, <laughs> and so, so, but but because of that, it makes it very hard, at least, you know, in my experience to, I, I, I love what you said, in theory, in practice, hiring somebody that I have to train for 10 hours a week while still managing what I'm doing is actually me taking on a burden rather than getting an extra resource for a short-term gain or for a short-term, right? For a long-term gain, it's a great investment. And by the way, I would totally do what you did. And, and I do do that. I hire that way. But it, a lot of reason I think why people don't is because of exactly that is they're thinking, oh my God, I get to hire somebody. I'm not going to get to hire somebody again for four years. I need to bring somebody in that's going to be great right now and they're going to be great for four years, right? Totally. Here's another thing I think people kind of miss the boat on is they hire someone who looks just like them and it's not that mm. helpful, right? So yeah. take take a look at your team. Take a look at your needs as a function. Take a look at your specific skill sets, Right, I know Jordan. You're good at everything, right? Everything. <laughs> this, is, no, but, this isn't a this isn't a video. I have to describe that you like waved your arms in the air and rolled your eyes while you said that for the listeners. Because oh my god, you just think you're the hot shit around here. No, I'm just but I, I, I do think there's a lot to be said for like really like. Have a little bit of like self-awareness, know what you're not good at, and then hire those gaps, right? Otherwise, you're just going to, again, end up with someone who's exactly like you, and it's not that helpful for the team. What's going to be the most helpful for the team? And then how do you actually effectively um, screen for that? Because I think that's another thing that people do is like, you know, I, I know what my strengths are. I know how to evaluate those things. I know what my strengths aren't, but I don't know how to evaluate those things. I'm just going to evaluate on the things that I know how to evaluate. And then you end up with people who only have your own same skill sets. So that's why mm -hmm. having a diverse hiring panel is super important. Like you need a lot of different people with different backgrounds and different perspectives on things so that you can really fully suss out, is this the right person for the team? Is this the right need that you guys have right now? Yep. Yep. 
So yeah, to, to sort of summarize, you know, the biggest we're looking at it, the, you know, the biggest advice for thinking of this role is is hire somebody that's diverse from you. They they have a different mindset, a different skill set, a different background to give them the ability to think in a way that's different to you. Like tangibly speaking, that's what we're we're talking about. We want them to be able to think differently because that viewpoint is going to add more valuable to, value to your conversation than just somebody that says, "Yeah, let's I'll do that." Um, in addition to that, I do think it's super important to, like, as Jonathan highlighted, adaptability. It, yeah. it is regardless of any of the above, adaptability is key in the role. And I don't think anybody can exist in an operations role without it. Um, and I think if you cover those boxes, you'd probably be fine. So that's awesome. Thank you guys. Um, I know we are probably at a full hour. I appreciate you guys, you doing this. This conversation was awesome. The, the one thing I want to do right now though, is actually anybody of our listeners that feels like they have a LinkedIn question that they want to send our way for future iterations of this. Because I find the LinkedIn, this week on LinkedIn segment to be quite enjoyable. And I'd be really curious to see who else is out there is listening and send me your questions, send them to Brandon, send them to Jonathan. We'll make sure that our, our information is shared with the, uh, the podcast. Um, with that being said, any, any other final thoughts from the two of you? This has been another great episode. Hopefully plenty more to come. And I'll try to go easy on you next time, Jordan. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm gonna. I think we're gonna put the photo of your hands in the air and your eyes rolling as you said that as like the cover of the whole podcast. <laughs> um, awesome guys. Well, we'll talk soon, and thank you for doing this. Talk to you soon. Thanks, guys. Thanks.